We are in the book of Titus. Uh, we are continuing. We're coming towards the tail end of our uh, of this of this book. It's been a phenomenal book. I, I don't know how many of you have enjoyed it. Between all the sermons, we've titled it "While You're Waiting." As a culture, um, we're very intrigued by renovation projects. We love taking something that's broken, something that's, that's kind of falling apart, fixing it all back together, slapping a coat of paint on it, and just love to restore it. As a matter of fact, there is an entire channel on your cable, whatever cable package you have, that's devoted to that very purpose. Anyone know that? Yeah. DIY. DIY. Any, any other channels that you know of? HGTV. There are shows upon shows upon shows that are just devoted, uh, that are devoted to such a project. And people come up with shows like The Property Brothers or The Rehab Addict, and we have all these different shows. And I, I can hear some fans out there already. We, it's in our, it's in us. We just love taking something that's broken and something that just needs some love and bringing it back to life. Some, we have a word for that. We call it renewal, right? We enjoy things being made new. We enjoy renewing things. In fact, we believe that if we put enough effort, if we put enough time, we can get things back to where they need to be. We can, if we just had the right amount of resources, if we had the right amount of time, if we had the right amount of passion, we could fix it, right? But there is one show that I love to watch, and it's not because of how perfect things are at the end. It's a show called Renovation Realities. Now, if you haven't watched that show, I would challenge you, go watch that as soon as you can. You see, Renovation Realities couldn't be any simpler. It's a homeowning couple, usually married, usually in one of those flyover states, they've decided to renovate a room in their house, usually a kitchen or a bathroom, completely on their own, having little to no practical experience in the construction business. In seven seasons of renovation realities, the show has rarely, if ever, included the scene known in the home improvement genre as the reveal. The reveal is that moment where Everything is completed. Everything is perfect. That vision that you had in mind, it's come to play. Renovation Realities does not have that. <laughs> After days of sweat and sore muscles, the subjects of Renovation Realities almost always concede defeat. They run out of time, they run out of money, the drywall is halfway done, the granite guys did not deliver the countertops, the tile would not line up, the refrigerator would not fit in, the, in through the door, the mostly demolished wall that prevents the life-altering promise of the open floor plan had in fact masked all the plumbing from upstairs, which now will have to be rerouted by a professional. <laughs> See, the reality is each one of us we have something which is old, broken, worn out, and needs to be restored. But the greater reality is we cannot do it by ourselves. We can try to do it on our own, but it just does not work. In fact, many of us find ourselves depressed and distraught over our lives, and I would suggest that the root cause of these emotions is the reality that as much as we try to do it on our own, we just 
are not able to. So last week we were in this in the same in this in chapter three. In chapter three, we talked about this advice that Paul is giving. Paul is uh, is writing a letter to Titus. Titus is this young pastor in the island of Crete. He's there. It's a brand new church. It's these uh, small home churches that just got established. Paul did his work there. Paul had to leave, and now Paul is writing Titus a letter, encouraging him, and he's exhorting him, and he's telling, "Do this and do this. Build up the leadership. These are the kind of advice you should give people. This is the kind of te- doctrine that you should teach." And he's going into chapter three, and he says, "Remind them." So if you look at the 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 word. In Greek, that word, remind them, it's one of those that says, do it continually, do it constantly, they they will forget, constantly do it. And so this morning, I'm just going to preach my sermon from last week. (laughs) No. He starts off chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to be, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Paul labels this advice. He's saying it's trustworthy. And when Paul says it's trustworthy, I think it begs our attention. It begs us to sit back and say, you know what, we need to, we need to hear what he has to say. He says that it's profitable and it, you can live the life that God has called you to if only you would pay attention. You see, we are in a desperate need of restoration. Just like those projects, we, are, we too are broken. We too are in disrepair. As a matter of fact, in verse 3, Paul writes, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I won't take much time to talk about these. We did touch upon these last week. And so if you haven't caught up on the sermon, definitely go on our website, check us out. There is, there is our messages page, and you can hear what we talked about as far as this and how accurately... Paul describes the people of Crete, but even in a way, he describes each of us sitting here. If you're reading this and you say, you know what, I cannot identify with all of these, I bet you can identify with at least one. We were the kind of people that Paul is writing about. But the reality is, we were those broken people, but we need to be fixed. On a show that uh, I believe it is the Tonight Show, uh, Jay Leno used to host that show. And he used to have these on the street segments. So one day he conducted a man on the street segment and he asked in the interview, he asked random people, do you know the Ten Commandments? And if we were to ask most of us here, I'm sure we would get some similar results. People gave all kinds of commandments, but one that kept coming up over and over again, as a matter of fact, was not on God's original list. It was not one of the Ten Commandments. And this is the phrase that he kept hearing over and over, God helps those See? God helps those who help themselves. A misconception in our Christian culture is that it's actually in the Bible, when the reality is it's not. 
You see, a French author from the 1600s once said, help yourselves and heaven will help you too. But it was in the 17th century, another author, he, said, he coined the phrase as we say it now, God help those who help themselves. And Ben Franklin, in one of his almanacs, he wrote, he quoted that verbatim, and ever since then, it's been in the American psyche. It's been, it's part of who we are. We just know that, and we assume that it's in the Bible. But here's the truth. Nothing could be further from that. The biblical truth is as far away from that than we have ever imagined. God it says God helps those who help themselves. And the reality is we cannot help ourselves. We are broken. We are destroyed. We are hopeless. And the reality is you cannot do anything about it. We can try. We, we do everything in our power to gain favor with God. And the, the Bible says there is nothing that you could do that will make you righteous in His sight. As a matter of fact, Paul even goes as far as to say that, that your righteousness is as filthy rags in his presence. So many of us believe that we are not that bad, or deep, in, deep down, we're still good. This goodness allows us to respond to God's grace, but the truth is that we are a hot mess. We are utterly sinful from the day we were born. We inherited the sinfulness of Adam. We're incapable of raising ourselves to do anything good. We're merely hurting. We're not merely hurting in our trespasses. We are actually dead in them. And that's what Paul is saying. But then he goes on to verses 3, verses 4, and 7, and he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So yet last week we touched upon the same passage and there's so much in this passage and so we thought, you know what, it would be great to take two weeks because this week, I want to talk a little bit to touch on a different side of the, the same passage that Paul is writing. He's talking about a process through which we're saved. There are a couple of words that I want to highlight today that Paul uses that it would be good for us to remember this morning. The first word he uses is the word regeneration. It's a big word. It, it means there is a lot packed into it. There is a scientific term, for, a scientific meaning for that term. We see animals who regenerate themselves. We see it in, in medicine. We see that. But the way Paul uses it, it's a little different. You see, it's a powerful and explosive word in the Greek. The word is palagonasia. Literally, it means a rebirth, a new birth. It means to be born again. Paul here is writing. So he's, he establishes the fact that we were sinful, we were broken, and there was nothing that we could do about it. But when the kindness and love of our Savior appears, he, it appears in a certain way. It appears there's a process through which it changes our lives. You see, Christ, he appeared on the scene 2000, over 2,000 years ago. He died for our sins. But how does that affect us today? What does that 
Is Christ dying again today? He's, Paul is clarifying. He's talking to us. Excuse me. He's talking to us a little bit about the process. And he's saying there, there is a change in this whole regeneration. There is a change that happens in us. It happens to us. It's, in, it's instantaneous. It's radical through the Holy Spirit. He saves us through this new rebirth or this new birth. This is why we sometimes refer to ourselves as evangelicals. Ever heard that term? If you haven't, turn on CNN, turn on Fox News. You will hear that term, especially in, 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 in the election season. Everyone's trying to get the evangelical vote. You see, our culture uses it as a political term, but the true meaning of that term, and ev- evangelical is someone who subscribes to the, to, the, to the doctrine that God changes us through a new birth. God changes us instantaneously. God changes us radically. He, there is a transformation that happens when he comes into the picture. We were once sinful. We were once going away from him, but when he decides to act, there is a change that happens. There is a change when someone responds to Christ, when someone responds in the affirmative, says, God, I need you. There is a change that happens in that person. That person is no longer condemned. That person is no longer lost. That person is no longer broken and and headed for God's wrath, but instead he is redeemed. He is restored. He He is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, the regeneration you're looking for is something that God puts in you when you put your trust in Jesus. This work happens not because of our own effort. It's something that the Holy Spirit does. He draws us to Him. We may have come in here saying, I need to do the right things to get right with God. And Paul is saying, no, this is not your work. It is God's work. It is the Holy Spirit who does the work. You see, the word regeneration is only found in one other place in all of the New Testament. In Matthew 19, verse 28, Paul, J- Jesus is talking about when, the, when all of creation, when the heavens and the earth and all that you see will be made new. You see, that regeneration process, according to Jesus, everything, all of creation is broken. All that you see around us is sinful. All that is, that is, that is in our sight, in our senses, is broken. And one day, they're all seeking a day that everything will be made new. Everything will be restored. Everything will be brought back to its original perfection. And that is the same word that Paul is using, saying that same regener- the regeneration that's going to happen with the world is going to start with you. You see, God is in the process. He is already working to restore everything back to its perfection, and He has decided to start with you and me. All of creation is broken and desperately seeking for a day when everything will be made whole. And Jesus and God, in His love and kindness, has decided to start that process through you and me. We were broken, but when his kindness showed up, a change happens. A few years ago, I I lived in Atlanta, as many of you know. I worked with an organization. They used to resource other organizations and used to provide volunteers and all the needed resources. So one day, we were working on this project. It was an old YMCA. John, if you would put that picture up. 
It's this old Y that was broken. It was just in such disrepair. And the pictures don't do it justice, but the, actually those, that picture was taken after the war. The landscaping was bad. The building was falling apart. The basketball court was falling apart. The parking lot had cracks all over the place. It was unsafe. It was a place where people, the kids would definitely not go. It was in a neighborhood that seemed to be pretty rough. And so this organization decided, all right, we need to do something. So we had something called Athletes Helping Youth, where we would, we would partner with a professional team that I will not mention here for reasons you're well aware of. And so members of this particular team came out and would work with 200 somewhat volunteers and contractors and would descend upon this Y on this particular day and fix it up. So that was the project. That's all we had to do. We had to come in, fix it all up, make it usable, make it presentable, make it um, so you go ahead to the next ones. And so we just came in. There was, there was so much work that had to be done. There were planters put in. Landscaping was done. That's when I had more hair and I was hanging out with the Falcons. Um, there was so much that had to be done. So by that, the end of the day that day, we all looked at the work that we had done. We had new bleachers put in. We had painted the entire place. The parking lot looked phenomenal. A month later, I was sent to do a follow-up. As you can imagine, it was as worse, if not more, than when we first began. There was broken glass everywhere. The hoops were broken. The parking lot was a mess. The lawn was even worse. So what happened? As a matter of fact, yesterday, when I was uh, working on the sermon, I pulled up a Google image. Go ahead, John. It's boarded up today. So what happened? The work that was put in, the thousands of man hours that were spent on that project, fixing this place up, restoring everything, what happened? Was it not that we, we didn't do a good enough job? That Was it not clean enough? Was it not fixed the right way? You see, there is a two-part process. There is the process of fixing it all up in that day, but there is also the process of maintaining it that needed to happen. You see, there is a renewal that needs to happen every day. There is something that someone, a maintenance person or a facilities person or someone who is in charge of this place would go in and say, you know what, let's clean it up, let's fix up what's broken, and let's keep this place going. What the Y lacked was no maintenance. Along with the work of regeneration, Paul is saying, there is the process of regeneration, but he also says the second word that you, it's worth remembering if you need to highlight it, if you need to write it down. It's this renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, there is that work of regeneration. There is that moment where each of us, when we look back and we say, God, I remember that day where I said, Lord, I take you, I, I put my trust in you, I surrender my life to you, and there was that moment of regeneration that happened. But there is also the process of renewal that Paul talks about here. There is a process of renewal in the Holy Spirit. 
So how does he save us? He saves us through regeneration, but he also keeps us through renewal. The work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration is instantaneous, but renewal is a continual, lifelong process. There is something that happens in us every day. The work that was once completed needs to be maintained. There is a daily renewal that happens in the life of a follower of Christ. This is not a one-time action, but instead it is continual. Renewal is a gracious and continuous work of the Holy Spirit where He rescues the believer from the pollution of sins, renews his nature in the image of God, and enables him to live rightly. You see, that's what he does. The Holy Spirit in each of our lives, when we, uh, when we partner with him, he does that in us. This is not our own effort. There is no way that if you, if you and I put our minds to it and said, you know what, from today I am living a perfect life. I give you two hours. Yeah. Not even. Our thoughts betray us. Our actions betray us. We are not capable as people to live the life that God has for us. Enter the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is the person, uh, is the power by which we live. The work of regeneration is entirely the work of God. We make no contribution in any way. But in the process of renewal, we have a small part to play. You see, it requires the conscious, continued, spirit-led, empowered, and submission of our will and personality to, to God and to all that He is. It's not a work that we do, but it's, instead, it's the lack of work. It's not us saying, Lord, I got this. Instead, He's saying, you got this, and I surrender. It's not us saying, I can do this part. Instead, it's us saying, God, you do this part. I am incapable, and I will step out of your way. I am incapable, and I will surrender to you. I am incapable, and I will submit to the work that you are doing. Our hearts are, in in a sense, being retrained for righteousness. Alistair Begg, I love, I love, he's a preacher out of Cincinnati, and he says this, I have been saved from sin's penalty. I am being saved from sin's power. And one day I will be saved from its presence. Let me repeat that. I have been saved from sin's penalty, regeneration. I am being saved from sin's power, renewal. And one day I will be saved from sin's presence. And that day comes, and that's why we have titled, While You Wait. You see, we are waiting for that day where He will remove us. He will restore us. He will fix what needs to be fixed. You see, one more aspect to this that we have to recognize is the work of the Trinity. Now, if you're new to church or newer to Christianity, that may be a a complicated term. You see, us as Christians, we believe that God is one, but reveals himself in three ways, in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that God the Father is divine, We believe that Jesus the Son is divine, and we believe that the Holy Spirit is divine. All three but one. 
You see, here in the passage, we see God the Father responding to our despair. When we were first, when we were in that state in verse 3 that we talked about, we were in, in, in that state of brokenness, we were in that state of disrepair. He, the God the Father responds to our despair in kindness and love, regenerating us through Jesus Christ's death and then renewing us through the Holy Spirit that He pours out on us generously through Jesus Christ. We see God Jesus and the Holy Spirit all working as one so that you and I, so that you and I might be restored, so that you and I might be saved, so that you and I might be regenerated and renewed, so that you and I, we would have that place at the table. You see, we see God at work. But again, the question is, we so desperately want to be a part of it. We want to do something. We, we, have a, we want a role to play that's just in us. A couple of years ago, I was working with a trainer, and he would put me through these different workouts that I had to do, and he noticed that I had bad form in one of the workouts. And so he would tell me, this is how you do it. You know, and he explained it to me. And as much as I tried to do it, it just would not work. I had terrible form in that particular, in that particular instance. And he's, he would explain it to me as if explaining helped. But for me in that moment, so what he did as any good trainer would do, he stepped up and he said, all right, let me show you. He demonstrated it himself again. I'm not able to do it. And so he put his hands on mine. He put his hands on my back. And he said, all right, now let's try to do it. And he was able to get me to that form. You see, we have, it's almost like this training in this process of renewal that the Holy Spirit takes us. The Holy Spirit takes us, he puts his presence in us, and he says, let me show you how to live this life. Let me empower you to live this life, because as much as you try it, as much as you read about it, as much as you attend a seminar, as much as you attend a motivational spe a speech, or whatever you may do to help you do what you want to do, and to live that life you want to live, you are not going to be able to. And the Holy Spirit says, let me do this work through you. It's like that trainer who comes, who takes over when you're in incapable of doing it. You see, in that moment, I have the option of saying, you know what, I can do this on my own. But, but my track record says, no, I can't. My muscles don't, have, don't move in that way, and so I need someone to come in and do the work in me, do the work through me. You see, the work is accomplished not by our effort, but by our submission. The work of restoration in each of our lives is not accomplished by our effort. In fact, Paul says, not by our works of righteousness. You look at it and go, works of righteousness, isn't that a good thing? Why, would, why wouldn't you say works of your terrible works? But no, he's saying, even your works of righteousness, he does not need it. He, it will not get you anywhere. Training here has the idea, in chapter 2, Paul, talk, talk, Paul talks about the grace of God that trains us in righteousness, the grace of God that comes in when we could not do it on our own. Here, the idea is not of imparting knowledge, but of strengthening and maturing. The Holy Spirit renews us, but it requires personal submission to the Spirit. This is not an easy thing to do. 
This requires us, follow, us following him and not merely believing, not merely just hearing, but instead actually submitting to the Holy Spirit. This requires us to submit, to surrender, to move, to step, to participate in the life that he's calling us to. It requires our constant attention to the way he moves, to the way he talks. It requires that we be in step, in tune to him. You see, we are used to relying on ourselves. We're used to picking ourselves up and getting the work done. But Paul is so clearly saying, it does not work. And when it comes to renewal, we're completely at the mercy of the Holy Spirit. And it requires our submission. You see, a person who truly believes will submit to the work of the Spirit. And if you have a hard time submitting, the question needs to ask, are you truly believing? See, walking by the Spirit is a Spirit-dependent walk, which means a conscious determination to trust or rely on the resources of the Spirit that's dwelling in us. It requires us to be conscious. It requires us to, be, to put everything into it. It's a negative. It's turning away from ourselves and turning to Him. This is what Paul says. God's work plus our submission equals total transformation. Let me put that again. God's work plus our submission equals total transformation. You see, we desire to take something that's broken. We desire to take something that's useless, something that seems hopeless, and rebuild it, to renew it, to transform it. And when we look at ourselves, when Paul looks at us, he's saying, you are that broken thing. You are that broken person. And we so, in our own effort, want to do that work. We want to build ourselves up. We want to live that good life now. And we'll do whatever it takes to get there. But Paul is saying, it is God's work. And all it requires is your submission for total transformation. Within our network of churches, this gentleman, gentleman named Bob Weiss, he is a pastor to the pastors. And he has this one, he has this, whenever he, sp he speaks to us, he always reminds us that ultimately it's not a program that will change people. It is the Holy Spirit. It is not you coming and hearing this phenomenal word. It's not you going out and doing all the right things. It's not all the, all the right music that's being played from this stage. It's not the right lighting in this room. It's not the right ambiance. It's none of that. But instead, it is the Holy Spirit that comes into your life and transforms it. And as Paul walks through this process, he, he tells us that the, the process of restoration, there is an ulterior motive. There is a higher purpose, and he says, so that we would be joined to him in eternity. Verse three, verse eight, he continues, and he says, this is a trustworthy saying. From last week, this is a saying that we need to pay attention to. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Mary, Marie Chapin, in her book, Of Whom the World Was Not Worthy, 
um, she talks about this evangelist named Yakov. Yakov lived in Yugoslavia right between the world, world War II and communism was just starting to take hold there. And he was an evangelist and he came up to his neighbor one day and he, the neighbor's name was named Simmerman. You see, Simmerman was an old seasoned fellow. He knew a lot about the church. He knew a lot about the politics within the church and he despised the church for the hypocrisy he had seen. So when Yakov talked to him about the love of Christ, Simmerman stopped him and he said, don't talk to me about this Christ. You see those priests there with all their vestments and their cloaks and their big crosses around their chests? I know what they're like. They're violent people. They've abused their power. Don't tell me about this Christ. I know what it is like to watch them kill our people, even some of my own relatives. Yaakov paused for a moment, and he asked, Simmerman, let me ask you a question. What if I stole your coat, your boots, put them on, broke into a bank, and took the money? I was chased by the police, but I outran them. What would you say if the police came knocking at your door and charged you with breaking into the bank? Because you see, they recognized your clothes. Simmerman said, I would deny it because I did not. Ah, but what if they say they recognize your coats and your boots from a distance and you have, because they recognize your clothes, you were the one who broke into that bank. Simmerman said, Yaakov, leave me alone. I know what you're doing. So Yaakov went away, but he kept coming back every day, determined to live the love of Christ before him. Finally, one day, Simmerman came up to Yaakov and he said, Yaakov, tell me about this Christ. This Christ that you so love and live for. How can I know him? Yaakov, taken aback, told him about how he would live, how he had to commit his life to Christ. Simmerman knelt down on the dust outside his house with Yaakov and received Christ into his life. He stood up and embraced Yaakov and said, Thank you for being in my life. You wear his coat very nicely. Do you wear his coat well? When the coat of Christ is on you, are people repelled or are people drawn? Making the gospel attractive by the way we live and love is something that God calls each of us as Christians to do. God wants us in every way that we can to make the teaching about God, our Savior, appear appealing and alluring. Paul is calling the believers in Crete to live in such a way that is countercultural to where they lived, to live opposite to what their culture demanded so that they would wear Christ's coat well. Paul is calling them to live in such a way that the gospel is made attractive by their attitudes and their actions. And that is the same call for you and me today. You see, he does this incredible work of regeneration. He does this incredible work of renewal for a purpose so that you and I would live to do good work. He says that we may be careful to devote to doing what is good. There is a purpose 
to why you are here today. There is a purpose to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. There is a work that is happening, and God wants you to be a part of it. Against the background of a rotten culture, Paul calls the Christians of Crete to put on the beauty of the gospel. Put on the gospel of Christ on display each and every day. So today, when you leave here and you go out into the world, be reminded that you are wearing the coat of Christ. I'm going to call the worship team to come back up. Do you wear his coat well? He did an incredible work in you. He did that work of regeneration, and he did that work of renewal. So the question is, how do you live it out? Is it, as, as we conclude, I want us to go back to what Alistair Begg says. I was saved from sin. I am being saved from sin's power, and one day I will be saved from sin's presence. See, you see, that is the work of Christ. But there is a work that we have to do. There is a part that we have to play. Is absolute surrender. How are you living your life? Are you living your life in submission to this Holy Spirit? Are you living your life in absolute surrender saying, God, Holy Spirit, what you need to do feel free to do it. What you need to cut out of my life, feel free to do it. What you need to add on to my life, feel free to do it. Do we live our lives intentionally? Surrendering. You see, with, without surrender, God is not going to force his work on you. God is not going to come up to you and say, believe in me. Instead, he requires a surrendered heart. He requires a submitted heart. So as we close this morning, I want us to take a few moments. The worship team is going to lead us in worship. And our elders are going to come up on either side of this platform. Our pastors will be there to pray with you. But as we spend a few more minutes in worship, and as we spend a few minutes in, in, in surrender, think about this. How are you surrendering today? Are you surrendered? Can you remember that moment where God did that incredible work in your life? Can you remember that moment of instantaneous transformation? Can you remember that moment where He did this incredible work? But what has it been like since? What does your everyday life look like? What is it that keeps you from surrendering? Is it something that you hold on to? Is it someone that you hold on to that keeps you from fully surrendering to Him? And so today, as we, as we conclude, we're going to open up these altars. Feel free to come. Feel free to come pray and surrender your life to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, my life is all yours. Do with me, with me as you please. Do whatever it is that you need to do. Let my life be surrendered. Let my life be renewed so that when I go out, I wear that coat well. Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for the work that was done in us in, in a place where we were broken, in a place where we were once your enemies, your love and your kindness came through. Now, Father, we thank you for the work that you do through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you for the work of regeneration. We thank you for the work of renewal. We thank you that as they come together, we are transformed. And Father, today we surrender our hearts. We surrender our minds and our bodies and our will, our, our desires, our dreams, our personalities, our conflicts, everything at your feet. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you do your work in us? Would you deal with us? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.